to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ tissue and eye donation and transplantation. You can always find us, guys, at thegiftedlife.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Boudreaux. And I'm Nyla Schwab. Lots to cover on today's episode. Here's what's coming up. Yeah, Lori, today we're going to be learning about our traumatic loss support program and how it helps families navigate through their grief journeys. And we're also going to be talking about something that we do all the time. We just don't even realize it. Coping skills. It's really helpful. I'm going to grab my pen and my paper. All that more coming up right here on The Gifted Life. Stay tuned. Here on the Gifted Life Podcast, we are so excited to introduce you to our friend. That's our friend, right, Joe? Oh, yeah. We've been talking about him, Dr. Ray Tucker, the Dr. Ray Tucker. So we were excited because he's our friend. He's been helping to guide us. But who was most excited? Me. Oh, my goodness. Who was giddy yes. about this guest? Me, 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 me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. Welcome. Yes. So, Dr. Tucker, we are so excited that you are here. Um, you are have been my mentor. And I, like, I'm just nervous. Oh, Fred. And we've never seen her this way. But we were so excited. We were like, we love it's, him because you do all these amazing things, right? And then Niall's like, but he's even better than that. All these extra things. So that's why we wanted to have you here to figure out how you're helping to solve the world's problems, how you're including Lopa in that. Tell us about what you do. Tell us your titles, because I have a long list here. But <laughs> what do you pull out as the as the top three? Well, I mean, I hold friend as the number one title. <laughs> so yes, absolutely. It's, it, it, <laughs> it's good to be chatting with y'all. Um, yeah, I hold a couple different jobs and it, it helps sort of um, increase, I, I hopefully impacting the community by, by spreading across a couple different uh, places. Uh, primary job is a, a associate professor of psychology out at Louisiana State University, Baton Rouge on the main campus. I teach PhD classes in clinical psychology and undergraduate uh, classes in psychology. I also run the mitigation of suicidal behavior lab. I'm a suicidologist by training, so all of my research is in, you know, what what sort of causes suicide and how can we prevent it, which wow. of course includes uh, supporting those who have lost loved ones um, to suicide as well. And uh, and that work sort of got me connected with Our Lady of the Lake medical system and LSU Health Sciences Center and their collaboration um, and became a clinical assistant professor of psychiatry in 2018, um, where I work with uh, psychiatry and other medical professionals out of Our Lady of the Lake, both Baton Rouge and the larger healthcare system um, in anything suicide prevention, sort of clinical intervention and, and risk assessments. And then um, over time, uh, took over the National Suicidology Training Center from our collectively our dear friend, Frank Campbell, who really is um, the, the, the person who really started some of the greatest work in supporting suicide loss survivors in our country. Uh, the National Suicidology Training Center um, continues to support suicide loss um, services in the community, but also train uh, providers and peer support people and really anyone who will listen. So hopefully, you know, we could get ahead of the problem and not have so many survivors um, out in our community. Wow. Mm. Well, I'm just going to say thank you because that's impressive. How do you get there? Like you're in your teens, you're studying, you go to college. Did you know, like, this is my niche? This is where I'm going? 
I don't really think so. I think I flew around it. Uh, I went to college at, uh, to play baseball and be maybe a music teacher. Um, that's kind of how I started. And, uh, um, I had a, a dual degree in psychology going and it turned out um, nobody in professional baseball needed a, a short kind of slow uh, infielder. <laughs> so I had to find something else. <laughs> Things weren't quite panning out in that career. Um, and, and luckily, I, I had really fallen into a, a great psychology uh, program out at um, uh, Lawrence University in Wisconsin. And there, there was a depression researcher who was doing some um, really cool work with a colleague who um, uh, did work in, around humor and sort of interpersonal relationships and how it relates to depression. While working on some research there, we had uh, a couple of suicides on campus. That was really my first sort of exposure to what that can do to, to people who love, you know, folks who died by suicide, but right. also, you know, a larger community that, that these people live in. Ne- neither of these folks were close friends of mine, but you saw it kind of ripple through. And I was sitting there thinking, well, I'm doing this depression research and, and maybe, you know, this suicide prevention thing would be something I could get into. And, and luckily when I applied for graduate school, found a lab that, you know, specialized in suicide prevention. So uh, it, it's a fairly kind of, easy to track path, but it definitely didn't start there, you know, in high school or something like that. Fascinating. Mm. I tell you, we're just excited that you're here, um, not only working with LOPA to better support our families in in the community also. Um, Mental health seems to be just really having some changes. And we're just going to kind of let you talk about that and lead us into ways that we can better support families and communities. And I'm curious too, how did, how did you guys meet? Like when, and, and Doc, Ooh, that's a great yeah, question. And, and Doc, when was the first time you even like found out that uh, LOPA existed and that we provide things for, you know, <laughs> grief support? That's a fun story. Yeah. And this is the fun story of the amazingness of Nyla Schwab. This actually has oh, nothing to do with no. me. She came, she came banging on doors at the Baton Crisis Intervention Center trying to find ways to support suicide loss survivors through her work at LOPA. And just luckily enough, I was on the other end of that door to start, you know, uh, talking about how organ procurement staff are, are all sort of centered in a great place to support the newly bereaved from suicide, which is such a such a traumatic and sudden loss. And, and, and frankly, it was a, a, a part of the community um, that I never considered could be folks who could do that great work. So Nyla is absolutely a trailblazer in that way, not only in our state, but in the country. Oh, we think so, too. That's how I met you. And I thought, oh, this is yeah. great. And then that you guys were collaborating and and doing these great things. That's amazing. Well, I tell you, when I, I went to meet Dr. Tucker, because actually Frank, oh, well, Dr. Campbell, Dr. Frank Campbell put us together. And so I tried to explain to him on the phone what LOPA does, Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency. Yeah. And I was like, can I just come to your office? He says, yes. So I go to LSU and um, I go up into his office and I sit down. I'm trying to explain it. And then I don't know, did you or did I jump up and start? He's had this huge whiteboard on his wall. And uh, yeah, I remember that. I, I that don't know whiteboard I, got filled really fast, didn't it? It did. And like, I, I think I, I was drawing it out, or either I was instructing you how to draw it out because I wanted him to understand what OPOs do. Right, yeah. And it's not simple to understand. And he really took the time to, to, understand it before he started making suggestions of how we could better support our families. And that is what I was so appreciative of to take the time to, it's complicated. It's complicated. Yeah, it absolutely is. And in that system of, of what I would call a system of care really 
is one that's sort of missing in the linkage for suicide loss survivors. Folks who are often, you know, positioned within the medical community, but not having a very specific position that sort of keeps you away from working with the bereaved. And that's often what happens, whether that's first responders at the, the scene of the suicide really are not really having the time or resources to support loved ones. Police are often investigating the loved ones of the suicide, you know, first, you know, we're really missing people early on in that process. And so Nihilus starts showing me how fast that contact occurs. And these, you know, really could be really influential punch points, you know, at, for someone who's newly bereaved. Um, it was just, it was pretty amazing. I think that's why the whiteboard came up as we're starting to figure out these timing pieces and these little things that we could do and start brainstorming. It, it, I, I distinctly remember that and it was certainly a lot of fun and now been culminating in years and years of work that hopefully is supporting families in Louisiana. Yes. And, and I want you to talk more about what you do in our community and go beyond just the suicide loss, but the traumatic loss. Yeah. So the, 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 uh, local protocol of, you know, supporting suicide loss survivors. This is, of course, where our bread and butter and Dr. Campbell and myself's bread and butter is, but we recognize that that's still a small percentage of the population of individuals who have experienced a sudden and traumatic loss. Um, this could be folks who just lost a loved one in a car accident, um, uh, other uh, homicide, uh, these times where uh, Dr. Campbell talks about it like um, having to pack to go to the moon in an hour. You know, you have you have an hour and your life completely changes. And if you're told that you have to, you know, go to the moon in an hour, who do you ask about how to pack? You don't mm -hmm. ask a doctor. You ask somebody who's trained and, you know, know this life. Yeah. And, and so we're working with, you know, this, with folks who understand bereavement and they understand supportive services. And, um, you know, it, it clearly was a time where we could branch out to more than just suicide loss support, which of course, you know, is very important, but work with uh, traumatic loss survivors more broadly. And so the program got built to be flexible enough that once we understood the manner uh, of death, which is a critical part of the program, you know, resources and conversations change slightly because suicide is its sort of own brand of uh, sudden and traumatic loss that needs some specific support. So how would you say like a suicide bereavement uh, differs? I guess that's probably a, a big chunk to, to, to chew on, but what, what would you say would be a, a, a two or three biggest differences between a suicide, uh, you know, someone who's, who's lost someone uh, by suicide versus someone who's lost someone by like a, a car accident? Yeah, they, I mean, they certainly have so many similarities. It's sudden and traumatic. The upheaval is is so much in someone's life. Something that sort of gets distinguished between the two is um, the question why. Um, oftentimes, in something like uh, like a, a car accident, the the why question of why did this happen um, often isn't quite as as strong and and sort of detrimental to somebody's psychology. The question of why, why did my loved one kill themselves? Why didn't I see this coming? Why didn't I do something? We actually call it the, the, the sort of cavern of why. When you fall into that, as a, somebody who's bereaved by suicide, it's really hard to get out. Um, and, and there's just certain types of bereavement that sort of push people closer to that cavern of why. And, and suicide is, is absolutely one of those. 
and, and that can have a, a pretty pervasive, you know, impact on someone's mental health and psychology, how they, you know, affiliate with people in their lives. Um, things like shame are, 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 are seen more in suicide bereavement than they are in things like uh, bereavement related to a car accident. And you know what, Joey, when I was in graduate school, it was Dr. Frank Campbell's uh, research and about the lost team. And so the lost teams are teams that go in immediately and start supporting a family at, at the time, at the scene. Um, and, and so I think these are, inter- don't they have some, Dr. Tucker, you would know, don't we have some lost teams that are international? Uh, yes, there, there's uh, uh, quite a, uh, a large group of lost teams in Ireland. Uh, Dr. Campbell had colleagues out there that sort of took that on at a more uh, large scale level than sort of city to city. Um, and I, I believe there's multiple other countries. The, the ones in Ireland and Dublin in particular are, are, are sort of a central hub in the international world for lost teams. Yeah. So so the purpose of that is to really to get families talking about the suicide loss. Correct. Correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Tucker, but also yeah. getting connecting them to support, because the longer someone has a gap into you, you take it from there, Dr. Tucker. <laughs> You're spot on. Uh, Nala, that, that we know things like suicide loss support groups where, where survivors come together and talk about their bereavement, talk about their loved ones, talk about how they're honoring uh, their loved ones after death. Uh, they, they show strong effects and maybe even stronger effects around bereavement than something like counseling from a trained professional like myself. They're, they're really strong um, and important for bereavement, but most people don't go if they ever even hear about them. And if they hear about them, they still often wait years after the loss. So something, I think the first data that Frank Campbell was working on with Baton Rouge was that most people who came to that support group, they were well over five years after the loss of their loved one. The idea of a loss team where they go to the scene of a suicide, you know, coroner or someone else has, has sort of called the loss team to say, well, this is suspected suicide. Can you come to the scene? These are folks who are, peer, we would call them peer support professionals. They um, lost loved ones to suicide in their past, and now they're trained to really be lighthouses at the scene. A lighthouse is someone who directs, a lighthouse directs ships not into harbor, but it directs uh, ships to calmer waters. It's trying to keep people away from danger. And that's the idea of a loss team, that they're not necessarily treating suicide bereavement. They're not trying to be grief counselors. They're de- there to say, here's where calmer waters are. Here are those resources. Here's what helped me. Um, you know, it, but this is where I think you should, you know, head in this, in this way. And that was, you know, the idea of of the, the loss uh, team, which are great. They exist in Louisiana. They exist across the country. The problem is they're often pretty hard to uh, keep funded. Uh, there's quite a bit of grassroots effort. And so um, you can start to understand how that sort of model fits extremely well in organ, organ procurement, because we have folks who can be lighthouses at different touch points for, you know, the suicide or the traumatically bereaved. Uh, without having to be the counselors or the the doctors who are there to fix it, just to guide people to safer waters. And I'm from a, a family that we didn't talk about it. That's a scary word. That's a scary time. I don't even know what to say. And I know through Nyla, mm-hmm. we took some training at the Baton Rouge Crisis Intervention Center where we, we talked about it. And I just, I am uncomfortable. Like, what do you say? 
but it got me a little more comfortable. I'm not to your level at all, but I think since that class, I have talked to more people about it. This is just what I heard in this class. Like I didn't know, I didn't know to say these phrases, um, you know, on TVs when they say committed suicide. Like I cringe because in that class we say we don't say committed. Like, and maybe you can go into that, Doctor Tucker. But um, to get me more comfortable, or just to say it's okay to talk about it, um, because I came from a family that you just didn't mm-hmm. you don't talk about it. I always want to tell everybody that the Baton Rouge Crisis Intervention Center um, actually trained our, our entire staff top down or down up um, because we wanted any family to be able to walk into LOPA and our staff, whether you greet someone at the door or you are running the the organization that we are all more comfortable talking about suicide yeah, and loss. Absolutely. And that was uh, right before COVID. I think that was January of 2020. Yes. What, uh, the timing yes. of all of that was a kind of surreal, that program launched. And uh, to see how that has you know come to impacting people in our communities. But not only that, I'm not sure if you all know this, but Nyla is now a published author um, because <laughs> that training Nyla. and our program... <laughs> I know, was published in the leading suicide prevention journal in the world, uh, Suicide and Life-Threatening Behavior, just in 2022. So the the larger suicide prevention community is clearly seeing, you know, stakeholders with organ procurement folks and this program as, as potentially, you know, very helpful, maybe not just in the state of Louisiana. Yeah, and for listeners who don't really are are still trying to make the connection because it's it's great information, and a lot of people um, may not know how all OPOs work, but at the time of death, it is the OPO that will come in, staff, and work with the families, whether by phone or in person. And our staff have all been trained to be able to better support these families and to have discussions around suicide loss. Um, so we kind of have become the lost team. Yep, across the state. And then there's still lost teams that are out there, and that's great. We add in another layer of sort of safety and support for folks. And then in these communities that, you know, they don't have lost teams and are unlikely to have one anytime soon, they can kind of become frontline early support for suicide loss survivors, which is amazing. Well, because you guys started talking about it, I started learning more and felt more comfortable talking about it. So I still have to go to Nile and say, okay, this was really <laughs> I'm still <laughs> learning. <laughs> I wasn't sure. Um, still fumble over over words, but I I think about it more thoughtfully now, I guess, having sat there and and understood what you guys were trying to push out. And I think that was really neat. The the paper that was published by Dr. Ray Tucker um, is that like coming in and training our staff, even though we are we were already trained in grief. We've gone through lots of training, but around that topic, there was still some, a lot of, there was a lot to be learned. And yes. I don't know, you can talk more about that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy to. That's, that is also one of the things that I've learned over the handful of years of doing this was just how amazing the people are at LOPA, that they're, they're sort of widely poised and ready and skilled to do this work. And, and more than all of that, just wanting so badly to support families like that is a clear passion. And it was, if you looked at our data at, you know, we kind of surveyed and we took a look at how people, how everyone um, at LOPA sort of felt comfortable talking about suicide, how they felt their role could impact suicide prevention and, and people who had lost loved ones to suicide. And you saw folks feeling like excited and wanting to do that work, but their data would show that they felt very low in comfort and low in knowledge, like what to do. 
And by the end of the four hour workshop, you know, you saw really strong changes in confidence that people could go out and do this work and objective knowledge. It frankly just became smarter at how to ask the question and what to do, which is always a good, a good sign. So to me, what it was sort of most exciting as it got started with this was not only this cool protocol and the reach of it that could get to, you know, lots of suicide loss survivors, lots of traumatic and some loss survivors, but the the people there are poised to be really successful, which isn't always the case when you create new protocols or new programs, whether that's in the healthcare system or education, that there's like a sort of deficit in the personnel like that we just didn't see in, in the early data, which was, which was really exciting. And not only, you know, are, were you guys able to train them on especially suicide, you know, helping families uh, working through someone who's died through suicide and also the other traumatic losses, but it also, I think, helps our staff to be able to deal with their own grief as well, not only personally, but even professionally when they're working with these families, there's a lot of grief that takes place. I can speak, you know, personally when I was supporting families, uh, you know, there's, we have a lot of grief that we have to work through on a lot of these that you just become so connected and, and, uh, you know, with the family, with supporting them that, um, learning about your own self care and learning, learning about grief in this way, uh, and how to support you know, people through grief, I think it kind of helps with your own self-care in a way. Absolutely. I'm glad to hear that because as helpers, we're not always great at that. Like we're pretty fast to put everyone else's needs first. So I'm glad to hear that that has maybe been like a a sort of side part of this project. Yeah. You have really helped us grow to better support our families and each other. So for that, we thank you. Oh, well, we thank you for the, you know, the ability to have that sort of impact in our community. That's a, that's an amazing community partnership when we're able to work like that to get something out to people that we care about. And are y'all still at the National Suicide Trauma Center, um, the NSTC? National Suicidology, yeah, National Suicidology Training Center, NSTC. Okay, so tell us a little bit about that as we start to wrap up, because I think that's so so important, and that um, is something that we need more training. We need to see more people understanding around uh, supporting people around suicide loss or or suicide in general? Yeah, I can tell you a little bit more about that, but I'll kind of start with maybe like an experiential thing. And I'm I'm sure this hasn't happened to anyone on this call, but maybe you've once been forced to take a training for a job or something like that where you kind of watch some videos while Netflix was on or maybe you're cooking something and then you clicked on some quiz questions and when you got them wrong, you had to go back and fill them out and then you got a certificate saying you're now trained in something. I can't guarantee, and I'm sure none of you have done that. I certainly <laughs> never have. Never. No. Never, never. But unfortunately, training training sometimes can create, you know, a false sense of security that we've been well-trained in something. And in fact, uh, some states are starting to mandate suicide prevention training for things like, you know, school personnel or mental health, you know, uh, practitioners, which make a ton of sense. But when you mandate those trainings, there becomes a market that gets flooded sometimes with really bad information, mm. frankly. Um, and if it's, even if it's good information, people aren't interacting with it well, especially as an adult learner. Like we don't really learn stuff from those 10 item quizzes that we could get wrong seven times until we pass it. So the National Suicidology Training Center was trying to build to try to be the opposite of that. Where can, where can 
folks go for high quality information around suicide prevention and suicide support, suicide loss supportive services, um, whether you're in Louisiana, whether you're in New York. Um, and that, and that, you know, branch of training has become in-person trainings, online trainings, sort of asynchronous trainings that are, um, that are not quite as, uh, as easy to fake, um, maybe more, uh, related to how adults learn. Um, and so the goal, frankly, there is to work with you know, state agencies and independent practitioners, as well as peer support providers to get them training they need for the positions they're in to do suicide prevention and suicide bereavement as well. All this information is so helpful, but I feel like we're giving a lot of information in a short amount of time. So if folks, if if, our, if anybody listening wants more information on what we've discussed, like where should we send them? Where are your links, your websites? I would definitely say uh, if you're interested in the National Suicidology Training Center and what is going on at the Baton Rouge uh, Crisis Intervention Center, I would uh, check out brcic.org. Um, and uh, if you're interested in sort of more background of you know broader suicide prevention or any of the work the research lab um, is doing, you can uh, find my faculty website at the lsu.edu backslash psychology. You'll find me pretty quickly there. But really, a lot of the work we've talked about today um, is, is centered at the crisis center, so that brcic.org. And I always try to sort of jump in, too, that um, these moments of conversation around suicide may hit people at the right time where they're worried, concerned about themselves or loved ones that may be struggling with suicide. And I always remind people, if you need support or you're wondering how to support somebody else, um, uh, you can always call 988, which is the National Suicide uh, Prevention Lifeline, and ask questions with an operator about how to help someone in your life or talk to them about your own thoughts of suicide. Dr. Ray, we have learned so much today. We always enjoy the visit. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your attention. Oh, wonderful. Thanks for all you're doing in the community. Here on the Gifted Life podcast, we're taking a moment for mental health. Yeah, Lori, and we'll be continuing on with our theme of the episode of grief support. Mm -hmm. So I'm eager to learn more about what you got to see, Nyla. Oh, look, I love talking about coping skills. I think they're so important. And, uh, you know, what I tell people is if you're if something new happens in your life and you don't know how to deal with it, a lot of times you end up kind of having your own setback or it could be a crisis depending on what the situation is but it's typically because you don't know how to deal with it Mm -hmm. things come up come up in our day all the time and and we know how to maybe I could go to Joey to ask if it's a clinical question I can come to Lori but those are all coping skills we're learning how to to build our toolbox and 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 I'm sure I've talked about this stuff before but I keep going back to it because even children have coping skills Mm -hmm. so they could be five years old and they learn to go you know grab a doll and talk to their best friend they have an invisible person that they chatter with but they're learning how to process they're learning how to to take on things that they don't know what to do. So we have coping skills, but sometimes I think we forget to like name them so we can go back to them. And I can tell you yesterday, um, I, I was just empty. I was just depleted. 
And I was sitting on my couch thinking, what am I doing? Because I couldn't get motivated to do anything. And I, and I had to think, 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 think. I had to tell myself, think, what do you do? And a lot of times I have some things that really kind of motivate me. They inspire me. And so I had to pull for my coping skills. So I pulled myself up and I went to Barnes and Nobles and sat by myself for a little while, while to find some things that would inspire me, would kind of fill me back up again. And so there's a, a great list from what's called Seeking Safety by Lisa Najavit. Javits, Najavits. That's easy for us to I, say, right? <laughs> I hope I'm saying it right. But um, I, I pulled it, and it's it's just got hundreds of I don't know about hundreds, but it's it's got a good it's got a good list of things that are coping skills that you don't even think about. Um, just leaving a bad scene. Yeah. So if you practice that over in your head, and you can name it, when things get difficult or your emotions get difficult, leave. Mm-hmm. Step aside. That's a coping skill. And sometimes we know people who don't know how to leave a scene mm-hmm. when they would just they're angry or they have high emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we learn these, we want to use them. Um, I, I, I Googled some coping skills and I saw uh, put on fake tattoos. And I thought, well, that's a fun one. I mean, that might cheer you up if you're having a hard day. So you, it's really. Distract you. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing about what we learn when we're little, if we are younger, maybe when we're 15 and we could try to bring these same coping skills into our adulthood, they may not work anymore. So what we use to survive may not be healthy now. Mm -hmm. And what what I mean by that is I'll talk to um, clients sometimes and I'll say, well, what's worked in the past? And when they tell me, I'm like, well, have you tried that? And they're like, well, it doesn't work now. But of course, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. I mean, because that it, they're a different person. They're a different age. So I'm just saying explore coping skills. You can Google it. You can go to this reference sheet that I'm talking about, seeking safety, um, having a plan, look for solving the problem instead of, you know, yeah. staring at the problem. Or being angry with a problem. Yeah, set a deadline. So many things that we do, but if we're not aware of it, we're not naming it, and we're not being intentional about it, then we forget to use them. So some people are are turning to social media, uh, and I'll speak specifically to to what I know, but uh, we're in these mom groups. And so these moms say, man, by the time I I work and try to clean and try to get dinner, and then they have all these kids, and like I'm overstimulated. And so some people read that as like, I'm mad. So I just have to take a moment, like quiet in the pantry even either cry it out (laughs) or breathe yeah or I like the pantry you know do something you know like that just to I need to regroup for a minute and this is my time to when you see me in there I need a minute kind of thing and just listening from other moms like oh I have the same thing I get overstimulated between three and five like that's when the kids are coming home that's when we have homework and trying to get to practice but it's talking like and I think that's the, the part of it right like we communicate we try to find and try to but it sounds like they're know. recognizing where their emotions are getting high and then they have found something that works for them stepping into the pantry stepping away and that allows them to to regroup and to cope with what's happening so coping skills it's just it's a skill it's something we learn and we notice and we're lucky because we have Nyla and we can like just ask her like learn it here we go, Nyla. <laughs> Tell me what you do. Adding to my coping <laughs> skills. All right. We like that. Maybe you have a topic you'd like for Nyla to cover here on The Gifted Life. It's simple. Just email us info at thegiftedlife.org. We'd love to hear from you. In our question and answer segment, this one comes from one of our listeners. Uh, and I'm going to kick it to you, Nyla. What type of support does LOPA offer a donor family after donation? 
That's a great question. You know, Dr. Tucker talked to us about the resources earlier, um, and he helped us create our resources. So, I, you know, I'm going to say that our family service department, our aftercare program, is all about supporting the family, and it depends on what that family needs. So the really wonderful thing is we do have great resources that we mail out to every family. Traumatic loss, and then we also have suicide loss. Um, but we are always there if a family wants to call. Even the public can call us to ask questions about our support, and we'll try to help connect you because we have our support. However, we also connect to our community mm-hmm. for support. So depending, we even can reach out to national um, other OPOs. We'll work with other OPOs. So. It depends on the unique needs of the family and what we've created specifically for our families, where we touch base for over a year with them, supporting them through phone calls and mailings. I love hearing from our volunteers. They join us out in the community, and that's one of the key pieces that they say you didn't know you needed them, but they're always there. So months later, years later, if we just need to check in, or support of any kind, like you said, every case is unique. Um, But they speak of it so positively, like it's a a great piece for them that we offer. Oh, I had a sweet family that um, they called after a year, and they said for a year they held the resources next to their bed in their book, and they just had the nerve or the courage, is how they said it, was to pick up the phone and call us because they needed they needed some help. And we're here. Yeah. Oh, always. I love that. Maybe you have a question you'd like for us to cover here on The Gifted Life. All you have to do is call us 504-648-3477. In every episode of The Gifted Life, we honor a hero. Today's hero is Joshua Holcomb. When our families ask about submitting a hero story, we always encourage them to write as much or as little as they would like um, to share what's on their heart. And so today, Joshua's family really sums up Joshua in two powerful statements with three beautiful pictures. Loving husband and dad, so proud of him for donating life. If you would like to learn more about Joshua, go to our website, And now we pause and say thank you to Joshua for the gift of life. Episode 217 of The Gifted Life in the Books, guys. We want to thank you for listening. And remember, you can register as an organ, eye, and tissue donor anytime. Registerme.org. Wow, what a great episode. Yeah, learned so a lot. Nice. Yeah, so nice having uh, Dr. Ray Tucker on here. And of course, he, Dr. Campbell, and Nyla spearheading what, you know, basically what our grieving program has become the trauma traumatic loss support program it's amazing what they've done and it was so nice having him on and and he, the back and forth with he and nyla was i always key. learn when can we I'm talk about always. nyla being published too i know oh, yeah. Yeah. I just I think, drop, yeah. drop that on us <laughs> halfway through the episode he's you know what he can make anyone sound smart so it's always fun to like to talk with him because I always walk away learning something always. What's cool is I remember when she started this journey Mm -hmm. and she said, you know, in this many years, this is what I hope to be doing. And then like did it like that's awesome. Yeah. And a testimony to to you and your strength and your power. It just reminds me about the opportunity we have as an OPO 
across our nation, across the world to maybe have an impact on, you know, supporting families. And maybe maybe even we can be part of decreasing the suicide rate. Be good humans. That's what we talk about here yeah, on The Gifted the Life. I love it. All right. The best place to find us, guys, please share this episode, is on our website, thegiftedlife.org. Listen there and find links to listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you do listen to Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star rating. It really helps others find us. And on social media, you can like our page on Facebook. It's called The Gifted Life Podcast. We post new episodes there all the time. You can also follow us on both Twitter and Instagram at Gifted Life Pod. Our ask is that you go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. We're one big team. This is a production of the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreaux, and Nala Schwab. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Carraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. 